Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. The Volume. All I want for the holidays this year is some NBA action. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks. An instant dub just for you guys. The MVP odds are heating up. Just so you guys know, on DraftKings today, December 18th, Nicole Jokic plus 210, Luka Doncic plus 400, Joel Embiid plus 425, Shea Gilgis Alexander plus 900, Giannis plus 900, Jason Tatum plus 1800. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario, Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had an incredible week. We're going to be doing a mailbag today. Thank you, all of you guys who left questions in the video on Wednesday. I obviously can't get to all of them, but we're going to get to a bunch of them today. And then starting next Tuesday, we're going to get back into our routine. So these mailbag questions should be getting released throughout 
the weekend. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Uh, don't forget about our, our podcast feeds wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Follow me on Twitter at underscore Jason LT so you guys don't miss any show announcements or the film threads that I do from time to time in the mornings. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can hit them throughout the rest of the season. All right, let's talk some basketball. So first question. Hey, Jason, do you think the Warriors bench will still be as great if they trade Chris Paul? I think CP has to stay because he is organizing the bench offense perfectly. And if he gets traded, I think he, I think the plus minus in the non-Steph minutes will decrease drastically. My question is, who would you rather trade next to Kaminga instead of CP? Is Moody enough or would you put someone else in that trade for Siakam? Love the show, by the way. Best basketball show pod right now. Just keep going. Thank you for the kind words and for the support. Uh, here's the thing with Chris Paul. It's about his salary slot. <clears throat> it's just really difficult to reach that number without including him. I do think that there will be some loss of organization and potential consistency in bench groups as a result. That said, it's far more important for your starting lineup to have more firepower. And the main reason why is when push comes to shove in the playoffs anyway, you're playing all those guys 30 38, 39, maybe even in the low 40s for minutes, at least your best guys. You need to have five guys that you're willing to go to war with Denver with for seven games over the course of two weeks, right? That said, like I don't think it'll be that big of an issue for the bench because of the emergence of pods. Brandon Podziemski, him, him being a hit as a draft pick undoes a lot of the damage from the James Wiseman trade. He's just flat out really, really good. And as a result, there's a lot of guys who need touches between Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Brandon Podziemski, whoever comes back in that theoretical Chris Paul, Jonathan Kaminga deal. I don't think it's going to be an issue of ball handling. I think there will be less consistency just because they'll be young. And Chris Paul is one of the most consistent you know, decision makers that we have in the game. But I think it'd be worth it to have that upgrade in terms of what the starting lineup is capable of. <clears throat> and again, I, I see Moody as an example here. You try to make a deal without Jonathan Kaminga, but the reality is, is I just think this is going to be a real. I think this is going to be a seller's market this year. I think there are a lot of teams that are going to be looking to make a deal to upgrade their and improve their chances at winning a championship. I think Golden State is likely to make a trade. I think the Lakers are likely to make a trade. I think Minnesota could make a trade. I think teams like Indiana and Oklahoma City might make a trade. Sacramento, in terms of trying to upgrade their four spot, they look like a team who could be making a trade. Milwaukee looks like a team that's going to make a trade. Miami and Philly look like teams that are going to make trades. And most of them are going to be hunting the big fish. Sacramento, Indy, Oklahoma City, I think they're all going to be going after the forwards, right? Miami and in Philadelphia, I think they're going to be looking for some sort of additional star level shot creator. I think the Warriors are looking for that type of forward. I think the Lakers could be involved in conversations like that, although I think they'll primarily be ta- uh, targeting role players. But the point is, is it's going to be a bidding war in a lot of these cases. And the bottom line is, is like there is no asset that the uh, the Warriors have that is valued as much as Jonathan Kaminga is around the league. And and so that's where it puts you into these tough decisions. Like, you could keep Jonathan Kaminga, and you could get outbid. And then you could be a good team this year that's not really capable of winning the championship. And with each passing year, Steph will age, and Jonathan Kaminga will be better, but he at this point, he doesn't project to be a super-duper star. He might. It's not off the table, but it's at this point somewhat of a long shot, right? 
And so it's one of those things where, to me, everybody has different philosophies, right? Certain franchises are okay with being really good for a long time, right? But the Warriors aren't one of those franchises. The the Warriors, they're trying to hang banners. They're they're a four-time NBA champion. Everybody who runs this franchise has a big ego for good reason because they're good at what they do. I don't think mediocrity is the goal here for the Warriors. And so, in my opinion, you either lean all in with Steph to try to win the damn Larry O'Brien trophy, or you punt on this era, you do a complete pivot rebuild. And in that case, you're not looking to trade Jonathan Kaminga. Maybe you convince Steph to stay on board, but for the record, as good as that would be for the community, as good as as important as he is to the franchise, I'm not sure Steph would be interested in some sort of soft rebuild. And most importantly, he's uh, he's a guy that you could trade and bring back just a shit ton of assets to to help spark that rebuild. And so to me, given the type of franchise that the Warriors are, it's kind of a, a crossroads here. And I, I think we'll see what happens until uh, when we get to the deadline. But when they get to the deadline, they're going to have a decision to make on that front. Next question. Hey, Jason, what's next for the Dallas Mavericks? They clearly have nailed their offseason moves and Lively has been a grand slam with Luka playing at this level. I'd love to hear your thoughts about the next steps for this team. All right, so... In my opinion, once you have the guy, which is like a top-tier superstar that is capable of being the best player on a championship a championship team, the next step to me is coming up with a, uh, like a, a very obvious five. Like five guys that like we're going down with, right? I think that's a really underrated element of the Denver Nuggets success last year. It's like they had their clear five. They knew who they were going down with, right? That to me is... It, it, that sort of congruency, so to speak, it, it is just an important trait to a, a basketball team reaching their absolute potential ceiling, right? So first question is, is Kyrie the right number two? Now, I love the offensive fit, but there are some concerns about the idea of having two stars that aren't top-tier athletes that deeply impact the game defensively, right? Like, if we go if we go back, like, you can do it. We saw Denver last year, right, with... Uh, with Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic, but they had excellent defensive players at two of the positions and a guy with really good length in Michael Porter Jr. at that other spot. And so if it's Kyrie, you have to be really, really good defensively at the other position. So let's look at lineup construction. Now, remember what I always talk about is ideally, and again, this is just my ideal version of a basketball team. There are so many different ways to construct a basketball team. We actually did a conver- had a conversation with the Nerd Sesh guys yesterday about this idea. Uh, essentially, like you know, what Kevin Durant views as the way to build a basketball team versus the way LeBron James views the way to build a basketball team, so on and so forth. It's really easy to 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 pick one side or the other, but you can succeed in different ways. That said, my my preferred construction is I want a skill guard and then I want an athlete guard. Then I want a slender, tall, like a slender, like kind of perimeter oriented forward. And then I want a bigger, stronger, like frontline forward. Not like an old school power forward like Drew Gooden, but just like a big, strong athlete. Someone along the lines of like an Aaron Gordon, ideally, is what I want in that four spot. And then I want my center to be athletic and capable of working in different coverages because playoff series just, uh, they, they kind of force you to have to be able to play multiple different ways depending on the matchup. And so having a center that can uh, competently switch and competently run a deep drop and competently run a high drop where he has to get up to the level and back, up to the level and back, a guy who can blitz with active hands, you want lots of versatility from that position, right? So going down the line, to me, Kyrie is the skill guard, right? 
I think Josh Green is actually the guy that could be your athlete guard, and he's been unavailable as of late. But I actually think Josh Green is is a is a is a like a, a good NBA starter, a guy that can be in that spot, right? Next is that slender kind of point of attack forward, the perimeter-oriented forward. That's the question mark right now, right? I think Luka's your big power forward. Now, I know he doesn't really fill that role on offense. He's more of like a point guard, right? That said, I'm more talking about defense. Your position is who you can guard in the NBA. Because offense, you can play the geometry is kind of your own, whatever your skill set is, right? Like like the, the Warriors play a really weird style. The, the, the Nuggets play a really different style. Like every team kind of has a different offensive style depending on their, their personnel, right? But defensively, it's about who you can guard, right? So I actually look at Luka defensively at his best as a low man a guy who uses his size and basketball IQ to make plays on the weak side, either like tagging rollers, uh, uh, offering secondary help, cleaning up the defensive glass, so on and so forth. I also like him there just as a guy who can get the uh, get the rebound and then start the break, right? So I look at Luka as your, your, your power forward there. And then that center position, Derek Lively could be that guy. Yeah, I agree. I think he's been a grand slam. Uh, it's amazing how a good draft pick or a good free agent signing can – kind of change the fortunes of a franchise. Derek is a great athlete, obviously a clean fit offensively. Uh, defensively, we'll see as the years go by. That usually takes some time, but I don't see any reason why he couldn't be similar to like a Nick Claxton and his ability as kind of a lanky center to defend in different coverages, right? And so that points us to the three spot as being their next most realistic target. The thing is, is with Kyrie being kind of a skill guard and with Josh Green being a good point of attack defender but not like an outstanding point of attack defender and with Luka being a lesser athlete at that four spot, I think it's really important that whoever it is they get at the three is a top-tier perimeter defender if they want to contend for a championship. It needs to be a guy that at least defensively is capable of reaching that Lou Dort, you know, Dylan Brooks, uh, Jaden McDaniels, a bunch of different versions of those guys, right? But like a, a legitimate guy that can like, you can stick on the other team's best player for seven games and make his life hell. If they can find that type of guy, it starts to make a ton of sense from a lineup construction standpoint to be like, if that guy is a big 6'8 athlete, then him and Lively provide so much athleticism. Him and at Josh Green and Lively provide so much athleticism in that lineup that Kyrie and Luca, being somewhat lesser athletes, is not a problem. And as long as those guys are bought in, like the way they are this season, I think they can get enough stops while simultaneously being extremely difficult to guard. So that's the direction I'd be looking right now. Round out a clear number five, a, a, a clear five man group by finding a top tier perimeter defender to put at the three. Next question. What do you think Jason Tatum's peak is? In your opinion, could he play into the top 25, 20, 15 all time? I honestly kind of feel bad for Tatum because he's an amazing player, but he rarely gets the recognition he deserves because like you said in this video or in, uh, in the video, the league is just so stacked with talent. It's hard to separate yourself. So I was actually surprised to find out this morning that Jason Tatum is still 25 years old. Uh, even though we've always known he was young, it just feels like he's been around forever and he has a ton of playoff experience. Did you know that Jason Tatum has played in 94 playoff games? That's more than Carmelo Anthony played in in his entire career, and he's 25 years old. He plays for an excellent franchise. They consistently surround him with talent, only 25 years old. He's played in the conference finals four times, right? Like as bad as he was in the NBA finals against the Warriors a couple years ago, he had just turned 24. Like he's young. And as I've talked about, 25 kind of feels like that threshold to where guys kind of start to figure it out. And so my thing is like when I really look at how 
good Jason Tatum already is. And some of the things he's starting to learn this season, using his size and strength more, diversity of shot creation, working more on cleared sides, spamming actions that get him advantages. It hasn't been perfect. There have been downsides. Still has a long way to go, in my opinion. But there's a version of this that from 27 to 32, he's like a definitive top three, four player in the league. And if he is, and he's surrounded with the amount of talent that the Celtics I expect will surround him with, there's no reason why he can't win multiple champions uh, championships and enter into those conversations. Like, again, I'm never going to pick the Celtics to win because my fears with them center around what happens with them in the playoffs. But what ends up happening in these situations is like eventually they break through. It's like Denver. I said the same thing with Denver last year. All season long, I was like, they can win the championship, but I'm not going to pick them because of trends in, in recent NBA history that tell me that teams that aren't in the top 10 defensively and aren't defending champions don't win the title, right? Then Denver broke the trend. That's the thing. The narrative and the trend surrounding the Celtics is going to be they can't execute at the end of games. Rightfully so, because that's what they've demonstrated. But then one day they're just going to do it. And, and they'll have the talent. And Tatum will make enough plays. And they'll do enough on both ends of the floor. And they'll win a title. I'm not sure if it'll be this year. But like, uh, given the amount of talent on that roster, the trajectory Tatum's on, his age, I, he feels like a multi-time champion to me. It's only a matter of when. Next question. What do you think Memphis needs to be able to contend? What do you think they should target? I should scroll down here because there was another Memphis Grizzlies uh, question that I want to include here. Um, here we go. With Jaw, Smart, and Kennard coming back, is the sixth seed too far of a goal? And how legit is Memphis's big three of Jaw, Bain, and Jaron Jackson? So I actually think, it's like, here's the thing. Desmond Bain has continued to make leaps from year to year, which above and beyond anything having to do with his potential is an indicator of what he's got up here. You know, it's funny. I've talked a lot about the difference between him and Dylan Brooks as trash talkers, right? Because, like, Desmond Bain is the guy that, like, on the court, he's being an asshole. Because he just wants to win that game so damn bad. And that mental chess match piece is part of it for him, right? But Desmond Bain is not the guy that goes into the post-game press conference and is super, super performative with his trash talk the way that Dylan Brooks was, right? And that's what I think I think that's an upside thing with Bain. I think he's just a freak competitor. And I think that drives him in the gym to work harder and harder and harder every year at rounding out certain elements of his skill set, continues to add playmaking, continues to add the ability to score off of the dribble. Desmond Bain's awesome. We've seen as John Morant's come back and they've immediately ripped off a bunch of wins, that dude's just a bona fide superstar in the making. It's a question of when, not if, right? So like, I love the backcourt piece there. Jaron Jackson, the one thing that's tricky with him, as good as he is, is he gets out of position a lot. He uh, has a hard time staying down on his feet and making good decisions about when to go for a block versus when to stay home and clean up the defensive glass. So he gets himself out of position a lot and he can commit a lot of fouls, right? One of the things I think that can make it a lot easier for him is putting a legitimate four next to him. And again, like Santi Aldama is a, a good player. Zyra Williams is a good player, but neither of them look like the kind of guys that could be in that three and four spot and anchor all of this thing out. 
Mark Marcus Smart as good as he is. I don't think he's one of those guys. I think in the short term he's good. In the short term he's a guy that will help them. But the ultimate version of this team, again going back to our original team construction concepts, it's John, it's Bain, it's Jaron Jackson slotted next to an Aaron Gordon-esque defender that can help clean up the defensive glass when he gets out of position, right? And then an excellent point of attack defender a la Dylan Brooks, right? A guy along those lines. And I get why he wasn't a personality fit with this group, right? I think I think we've learned. Uh, I was, you know, my issues with Dylan were more about his behavior. I've always thought he was very good. But like, whatever that player is that fills into that spot, that's what they need. They need a guy that can throw out the other team's best player for a seven-game series and have success there. <clears throat> Hey, Jason, love the show and think you're doing an amazing job. Quick mailbag question for you. The Pistons are obviously in a rut and seriously struggling. What would you do if you were GM of the Pistons to fix this? What do you think they'll do come trade deadline offseason? Thanks. First of all, thank you so much for supporting the show and for the kind words. So we uh, have done little uh, uh, flybys on the Pistons, but let's talk about them for a little bit longer today. So in my opinion, if you're going to be bad, you got to make it count, which means drafting in the next couple of years is going to be huge. And unfortunately, this is kind of a bad year to be bad because the top of this next year's draft is weaker, significantly weaker than last year's was. Now, there is significant upside here that I don't even think Pistons fans are aware of. Cade Cunningham is awesome. He's a star in the making. Jaden Ivey, in spite of having a really tough role, has actually been pretty good. Here's a crazy stat for you. During the first 20 games of the season, he played 25-plus minutes just seven times. So, very, very fluctuating role. In the last six games, he's played 25-plus minutes in every single game, and now he's starting. In those six games, he's averaging 16 points, five rebounds, and five assists. And now for the season, he's put up some pretty interesting shot creation data. He's run 142 pick-and-rolls and isos, including passes, leading to 161 points. That's 1.13 points per possession. I've always been a big believer in Jaden Ivey ever since the first time I saw him in Summer League. I think he has the unique combination of like star moxie, but like no one can keep him in front. Like, like, I, like no one can keep the guy in front off the dribble. And so I think, especially when he gets into a more competent situation and gets more reps, I think that's a superpower. I think that's the kind of thing like we've talked about with Darren Fox and Malik Monk. Like when you have a guy who can consistently generate dri dribble penetration, it just makes the game easier for everybody else because the defense is constantly in rotation. So they got to lean into Jaden Ivey the rest of the way and get a better feel for whether or not he can be the guy next to, to Kate Cunningham, right? Then Jalen Durant, he's the ideal type of athletic and versatile center that I've been talking about in these mailbag videos, right? The guy that can potentially defend in multiple coverages in the future. Here's a crazy stat for you guys. According to Cleaning the Glass, which filters out garbage time, when Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Jalen Durant are on the floor together, they are outscoring teams by 3.3 points per 100 possessions in 313 possessions. Roughly three games worth of data of those three guys on the floor together, and they've been positive. And again, that's not like something to write home about, but that's like, there's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of other fluff in here that's kind of disrupting some of the other things going on with the Pistons, right? Obviously rotation, uh, uh, you know, stuff that I don't necessarily agree with in terms of the way the rotation is laid out. Obviously injuries have played a role. And then the bench is like atrocious. It's so, so, so bad. And it's something that's consistently hurting the team. And so they, there, there, are, there are some bright spots that are hidden deep underneath all that. So now let's look at that ideal lineup construction that I always talk about, right? 
to me, Jaden is the Jaden Ivy is the athlete guard, and he will have to become an excellent point of attack defender for this to pan out. The skill guard, in my opinion, is Cade Cunningham. I know he's kind of six eight, but like I, I look at him as the skill guard. Uh, Asar Thompson is your primary point of attacker and a- point of attack defender and athlete wing, and he's going to be able to take the primary, the the higher leverage point of attack assignments. I actually think he's one of the better point of attack defenders I've ever scouted, as I've said on the show many times. Right, power wing, we'll get back there, and then athletic center is your is, is Jalen Duran, right? So it's that big forward spot, and you need someone there that has real size because Asar Thompson is a little bit thin, right? You need someone there who can really shoot the ball. Because Asar Thompson is not an outstanding shooter, I think it's uh, you could look for a kind of player there that's uh, a little bit more flawed because he won't have to be as used on the ball. Because theoretically, you want a guy like Jaden to guard other teams' quick guards, and uh, because Asar Thompson is uh, uh, you know a guy that's going to take a high leverage point of attack assignment, you're more looking for a guy with size who can be a help side defender. So a guy who can play passing lanes take the low man responsibilities, rotate on the weak side, clean up the defensive glass. I'll give you a random example of a type of player that's not a good point of attack defender that would be really useful in this system. Kyle Kuzma. I think a guy like Kyle Kuzma could be a really interesting player to put next to a Jaden Ivey and a Cade Cunningham if you could target him in a trade with the Washington Wizards. But that, to me, is where you start to put together a really complimentary lineup. From there, a couple of things. Empower them and allow them to fail. Give them long leashes. Stop tinkering with the rotation. If you're going to be bad, at least be bad while learning something. It's when you are bad without a sense of direction that it becomes a waste. And then from there, you got to pivot quickly from the bad players on the bench. Bring in G League guys if you have to that are that are young and have potential. But like James Wiseman's not good, and, and I don't think he's going to be. Marvin Bagley is not good, and I don't think he's going to be. So like that that the, that that bench piece. At least round it out with guys that are going to fit the overall, uh, you know, identity you're trying to build. Try something, but like whatever you do, don't put yourself in a situation where you're giving uh, significant rotation minutes to guys that are just flat out bad basketball players. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design icon West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of the two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, 
and sustainable practices made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. Hey, Jason, I want your opinion on the players that played for Team USA this year. It seems as if all the starters have made really good strides. Brandon Ingram, Austin Reeves, Tyrese Halliburton, Jalen Brunson, etc. Do you think playing some of the world's best uh, with some of the world's best help them raise their ceilings in the NBA? And if so, do you think it's sustainable or flukish? I absolutely think it helps raise their ceiling, and I absolutely think it's sustainable. It's a simple t- uh, uh, topic that, or, or line, I should say, that Ryan uh, Brumley, who's one of the lead producers at uh, at The Volume, has always said to me. It's a rising tide that lifts all boats. Surrounding yourself with other super successful people is a great way to em- find out things to emulate. You know, it's funny because like my the most fun that I have with the game of basketball now is in the summer. And over the summer, all of these young college players come back to town. And I've been fortunate enough to build connections with them over the years. And they're young and they have a ton of energy, and they're all super competitive, and they're all desperate to get better. And so when I'm around them, it invigorates me to love the game more and to want to be, even even though I'm 32 years old and I'm just playing for fun, it just, it just brings the best out of me as a basketball player to surround myself around other really, really good basketball players. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, imagine that same concept, but translated to the highest level of the sport. Like even within the 450 players in the NBA, there are players there that don't love the game. There are players there that have an enormous amount of natural ability, or I should at least say relative to the guys at the top of the league, right? And what ends up happening is you get in an environment like that, Team USA, and again, you don't have the superstars there. You don't have the top, top, top tier guys that we uh, are accustomed to seeing with Team USA. But all of these guys, especially for their age group, are highly motivated guys that, guys that you can pick up real uh, uh, quality traits from, right? And so I think, I think in general, every single one of those guys gets around those guys, or gets around the rest of that group, and they feel invigorated, they feel motivated. They, uh, there's obviously we've heard a lot about the famous one-on-one games, right? That took, that take place at these things. I think in general, it just serves as a springboard for any basketball player to reach a higher version of themselves. I've seen many fans occasionally call the current Celtics roster a super team because of their top end talent. This team is great when they are working hard together, but it doesn't feel like the KD Warriors era type of unfair. What's your definition of a super team? And do you think the Celtics count as one? Are there any teams in the league currently that truly fit the description? I don't think we've had a team like that since the Golden State Warriors uh, with KD. And most importantly, you could tell that just from uh, championship odds. Every single year we've had championship odds that have positive odds, meaning like even if you bet for the favorite, you're going to make more money than you bet if they win, right? Whereas like those Warriors teams legitimately had negative odds. Like you had to give extra money. Like like you had to bet. I can't remember exactly what the odds were, but I I remember like 2019, 2018, it was like minus 130 or minus 140 that the Warriors would win the title, which is like insane. Like that, 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 Think about how crazy that is. The odds to pick one team to win the championship of the NBA at the beginning of the season was better odds than betting a point spread 
where you get minus 110, right? Like it's crazy to think about. But like the reason why that was different was, you know, the Celtics team does have super team level talent, in my opinion, in terms of top to bottom total aggregate roster talent. But in terms of top end talent between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're just they're neither of them are on the same level as the Nikola Jokic's, the Luka Doncic, the uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's, like those kind of guys, right? And so, uh, when you get to the furthest levels of the NBA playoffs, the round three, round four, that is where the best players really shine through. And so, as talented as the Celtics team is. I don't view them as a super team strictly from the standpoint of like their star talent. Like if they go, the Celtics, even if they win the title this year, will have to beat teams that have better star talent in order to get it done. They very well might, but I view them as just another one of the contenders. I view them as top tier. To me, it's them in Denver at the top of the list. But to me, in order to be like a true super team, you have to be a head and shoulders above the rest of the league. What made that Warriors team different was they were already an excellent team with a ton of talent and a team that had superstar talent in Steph Curry, and then they added a top-tier superstar. Like, Kevin Durant, at that point, was a much better player than Jason Tatum is now, and he was joining Steph Curry, who was a much better player than Jason Tatum is now. See the difference? That's why I kind of view them as a different tier. Is J-Dub on OKC underrated? This may sound stupid, but I can't think of many players who have looked this good in their second year as the second option on their team. His strength... His prowess and transition and vision reminds me of a young LeBron. Obviously, he's a less uh, obviously he's less of a physical anomaly, but he's certainly a better shooter in year two. I feel like he goes a bit under the radar because of how good Shea Gilgis Alexander is. I think the other reason he goes under the radar is he's still really young, right? Like he's, we're talking about it in his second year. Like he just last night had his third consecutive 20-plus point game. That's only the third time in his career he's done that. And a big part of that is he's young, he's figuring some stuff out, also playing alongside a ton of other ball handling, so his, excuse me, so his opportunities are a little bit more inconsistent, right? But I 100% agree that he's underrated in the sense that I don't think people realize that this guy is a star in the making, too. And there's several key elements there. Like, I... I it starts with just the 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 geometry of the floor, a flow of the game, decision making stuff. So, for instance, like last night against the Knicks, it's J Dub just picking on in in uh, he's bringing Chet into ball screens, and he's just picking on Taj Gibson, and he's picking on Julius Randle, and he's making the right reads, and he's taking and making pull up jump shots. He's taking and making. Uh, tough contested shots at the rim. It is like a surgical approach that you don't expect to see from a young player. And that's only going to get better and better as the years go by. From there, it's top tier athleticism, which by the way, like I picked that up immediately at Summer League. You still go down in my Twitter feed and I have a bunch of videos of Jalen uh, uh, Williams dunking and me going like, holy shit, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's a ridiculous athlete, right? Like he was one of the standout guys in Summer League that year. And like th- combine that with the high-level passing ability, the ability to consistently beat people off the dribble, the shot-making from all three levels, and then some of that like higher-level flow of the game stuff, he's a star in the making. It's just a matter of when. Still super young, though, so there's going to be some growing pains along the way. Next question. If hand-checking were allowed again, who do you think would be the best defender in the league and who would be more effect- who would be affected more by this change the most? Uh, I, view- I dismiss this question entirely. Uh, I have a theory about hand-checking. It was actually, if you look in the NBA rule book, hand-checking was outlawed in the 70s. 
And what has happened is, is over the years, there's been an ebb and flow in the amount of contact that officials have allowed. And there have been slight redefinitions of what it is. But still to this day, hand checking is a thing in basketball. Watch any NBA playoff game in particular, but it happens in regular season games as well. But watch any uh, NBA playoff game. Guys have their hands on guys. They just do. One of the most common forms of hand checking that goes uncalled all the time is it's uh, it's actually what coaches teach. It's inside hand hand checking. So like, let's say I'm guarding you. Your camera is the offensive player. Your guard. I'm guarding you. You're driving this way, right past my right shoulder. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lift this arm up and I'm going to take my inside arm and I'm going to literally be hitting you like this in your stomach, trying to impede your progress while holding my right arm up. And they're probably going to let me get away with it. That's a, that's one of the most common kinds of hand checking that you see is that inside hand is being physical while the outside hand is out. And for the most part, you can get away with that. And like just between fighting for jockeying for position, fighting uh, over the top of screens, the uh, off arm stuff that uh, offensive players are using, there's way more contact that takes place in basketball games than people realize. The hand checking thing is purely narrative based, almost entirely from the older generation to try to convince you that basketball is fake now. And in all, in all honesty, it's just it's literally a load of bullshit. And like, just go back and watch any 1980s playoff game, and then watch any playoff game from this era, and you tell me which game was more physical. And I'm not talking about the hard fouls. I'm not talking about the dude getting thrown into the the camera row and the brawl that happens. I'm talking about the possession by possession physicality. The game's actually more physical now than it was in the 80s. The one time it got a lot worse than it was now is in the late 90s, early 2000s, which by the way led to some of the redefinition that took place in 2003. But like in that stretch. That was when it got to the point where it was too physical and the league literally had to step in because we had playoff games ending in the 70s. And that's just not good television. Again, like there, it can go too far. And now, now the whistle's making the, uh, a bad television product on the other side of things. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of that legislated back into the game, right? But the actual concept of hand checking has been around for five decades at this point. Next question. My friends and I have started our own purely Warriors-centered podcast, and we're wondering if you have any advice generally about starting a podcast and making it big. Love the stuff you do. Keep it up. First of all, I think it's awesome for anybody to – it's funny because uh, podcasting has become a thing that kind of gets roasted in, uh, it, on social media these days. Uh, but here's the thing. like, if you, Are you having fun doing it? Because if you're having fun doing it, who gives a shit what anybody else thinks? You know what I mean? I have a Star Wars podcast. No one pays me for that shit. I just have so much fun doing it that like I'm not going to stop. I don't care if I don't get paid for five years. I'm still going to keep doing it. Who cares what anybody else thinks? So like, if you want to start a podcast, do it. Secondly, there's a lot of free tools at your disposal. You will have to buy some things, right? You're going to need a computer to facilitate it. Like... <clears throat> Uh, if your computer has a webcam, that's fine to start. But if you want to, you can spend a hundred bucks on an HD webcam, right? Or if you get to the point where you want to get a little bit more extravagant, you can buy a digital camera and use CamLink, which is what we use here to get a better picture, right? You can use lighting or you can record during the day if you have to, but you can go cheap on equipment if you need to. You can even find microphones that are not overly expensive. But on a daily basis, it's actually free. There are services that are straight up free to host a podcast. A lot of them that have built-in algorithms that can help you grow your show. And so it, it's funny how o over the years, the the methods uh, with which you would get into this industry have changed. You know, like it used to be, you'd go knock on a radio station and be like, hey, can I work the, the board? 
until until finally one day you get to fill in for somebody on a Saturday night and maybe you're good at it, right? Or maybe you go write for fansided. I wrote for fansided briefly uh, when that when I thought that was a method to get into it, although right now I don't think it's a very good method. But like there were all, there used to be all these different ways to get in. And like now it's different. Like the, these tools are available for you to promote your content at your house. And from there, if you make quality content, people will find it. That's what the algorithms do. The algorithms are the ultimate meritocracy when it comes to this kind of stuff. People watch. There's watch time. It just gets advertised to more people. And so starting, record all your podcasts on video. So like if you're doing a podcast with your buddies, make sure everything's getting videotaped. If you need to like like uh, Zoom calls have video recording built in, StreamYard has video recording built in, it's easy enough to do that, right? Once you record your podcast, release it on the podcast feeds. There's a completely free podcast service called Spotify for Podcasters, completely free. That's where I host Two Sons podcast, my Star Wars podcast, right? Then you can put it on YouTube as well. Take the video, put it on YouTube. Don't overly, if you have time to overly obsess with editing, sure. But don't overly obsess with graphics and editing and stuff. It's your content that's going to end up winning at the end of the day, right? But put it up on YouTube. YouTube is completely free. And then from there, YouTube has a built-in algorithm. YouTube, as your your subscriber base builds, as your subscribers uh, watch your videos, as they have high watch times on your videos, it continues to push your content out to other people. You can build thumbnails for free with apps like Canva. It's really easy to do. And then from there, use social media to your advantage. TikTok, excellent algorithm. I've gained, a, I, my Star Wars podcast has like 4,000 something TikTok, TikTok uh, subscribers because I've consistently, or followers I should say, because I've consistently put clips of the show on there. And then I just use that to direct people to YouTube or to the podcast. Instagram Reels, another great way to do it. Twitter is actually, ironically, like the least powerful platform there is, but it is a useful platform in its own way. But like, that's all free, what I just said. Other than the equipment, everything I just said is free. Record, get a video, put the put the recording on Spotify for podcasters, put the video on YouTube, advertise it on social media. And as long as you're having fun doing it, and you're putting your heart and soul into it, you have a really good chance, especially with the the tools that are at your disposal. From there, just have a base understanding that you are uh, uh, dealing with a flooded field. And what I mean by that is, as I've just described how easy it is to, to, uh, to actually put podcast content out there, understand that lots of people are doing it. And because lots of people are doing it, the people that will rise from uh, from the group into having success are the people are, that put their heart and soul into it. And so like you like if you're gonna do it and do it half-assed, just understand that it's probably more just for fun, right? But if you pour your heart and soul to it, you have a better chance. And then lastly, I would just say lean into who you are. Don't try to pretend to be anybody else. Lean into who you are because at the end of the day, the only way anyone's going to you know, embrace your content as if it's authentic. And so again, that's just like a little brief overview, but, uh, and, uh, you guys, I keep my, um, direct messages open on social media. I can't get to all of them, uh, but I do try. So like, if you have a question, uh, anything specific along those lines, feel free to drop it into my direct messages and we can uh, have a chat about it. Next question. Two questions, actually. Uh, how do the Thunder win the NBA Finals with the Lori Markinen trade? And what's your favorite Christmas, New Year's traditions? Uh, so first of all, with the uh, Thunder, though I look at it pretty simply, but right now there are two gaping flaws uh, for the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, in my opinion. A lack of age and experience and a lack of size. 
And so those two flaws end up being something that causes me to, to be reticent to take Oklahoma City uh, seriously as a team that can hoist the trophy. They can be dangerous. I, I, I've said this with the Nerds guys yesterday. I expect them to be a championship contender for a long time. I just think this year it's a, it's a, it's a really long shot for them to actually hoist the trophy for those two reasons. So, Lori Markkinen doesn't necessarily give you any more experience, but what he does is he gives you more size. And so it addresses one of your primary concerns there, which would make them significantly uh, better, in my opinion. Secondly, what's your favorite Christmas, New Year's tradition? Uh, so, uh, it's it, my family, my wife and I, actually, every Christmas Eve, we I'll, I'll, I'll give you guys two examples. So, every Christmas Eve, my wife and I host a party for her family. And that's always been a fun one because when I first started dating my wife, um, I got in, you know, I started coming to this party and it was always such an important tradition for her family. And now we're in a position where we're, we're the ones who actually host it. And so it's kind of cool because it's like an honor in the family, given how important this party is that we get to be the one to host it. And so this year was actually our first year hosting it and it went really smoothly. And I, I was just thankful and, and it, it was kind of cool to be on the other side of that after what it was like when I first met my wife. Secondly, my uh, younger brother, you know, it's funny. I have, I have two brothers and a sister and my older brother and sister both live here in town, but my younger brother was actually closest to my age and him and I were the, uh, the two that spent the most time together when we were kids. And then when he got, went to college, my brother was a very good football player. And so he ended up going to West Point and was like a two-time team captain. One of the, one of their all-time leaders in, in tacklers, like just a really good football player. And as a result though, he went to New York and I barely get to see him. And I uh, saw him very literally while he was in college and then immediately had to go into his five-year military commitment. And now he lives in Austin, Texas, uh, working for Shell and, uh, and like just a really busy guy, right? And so uh, he comes home every year for Christmas. And one of the things I do is me and my two brothers get together and we, uh, we just, and we're actually doing this tonight and we did it again last Thursday, but like usually one or two nights while they're in town, while Jeremy's in town, we'll get together and we'll, uh, just, we'll just hang out like old school, like old times and we'll play guitar and we'll have, cause my older brother also plays guitar and we'll, uh, we'll play guitar. We'll drink a couple beers. We'll watch the Thursday night football game. We'll play some sports bets. We'll just kind of kick back and, and, and be brothers. And it's fun for me just because I don't get to see Jeremy very often. And it kind of, uh, uh, it's just something that I look forward to every year over Christmas. Next question. Can you explain to me what power rankings refers to? Is it the team that has the highest chance to win the championship or is it the team with the best form? Is it the team that is best on paper? Is it the team that you like the most? Power in the NBA is tricky business since an eighth seed can reach the NBA Finals. To put it simply, for me, power rankings are a representation of who the best team is within this regular season with some emphasis on who's playing better as of late. So, like, obviously, to, for me to kick Minnesota or Boston off the top two, they would need to have a significant slide because I want to pay respect to how good they've been all season. But a lot of the jockeying around is like who's been playing better over the course of the last two weeks. But my power rankings are different from my contender rankings because I am a big playoff focus guy. You guys know that about me. And so I want to find a way to try to ex like draw more attention to regular season teams. And so that's how I do so. 
Why doesn't Steve Kerr play Kaminga and Wiggins to end the fourth quarter? Everyone keeps talking about their negative net ratings together, but that's because they don't play much together. So how can they get a feel for each other? I'm kind of ranting here, but I think their defense would reach an elite level if they can figure out a way to play them together. So I actually 100% agree. I uh, uh, Here's the thing. Whether or not Jonathan Kaminga could be the 3-4 for a championship team, totally different discussion. No matter what, though, it's something that I think they should lean into more over the course of the stretch until the deadline whenever they decide what they want to do. To put it simply, like I think the reason why Steve Kerr doesn't play the two of them together is Andrew Wiggins is having a really bad offensive season, and Jonathan Kaminga is a young guy who's inconsistent in his decision-making. And as we've seen with the wanting to play you know, Corey Joseph from time to time, wanting to play Brandon Pazemski big minutes – like Steve Kerr is huge on like the flow of their offense and like in general, just the, um, uh, like the decision-making piece of it. Right. And, and that's not and a big part of that is the five out offense and the bit like Steph and Clay are giving up the basketball a lot. And so they want it to get back to them at the end of the play. Right. Uh, preferably with an opening. And so I think that's the reason why, but I agree. I think, I think leaning into your athleticism and to put it simply like are Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins, two of your top five players, Probably, yeah. So they should probably play more, right? Two, at least two of your top six players, right? So, like, I would play, I would try to play them more together. Um, at this point, like, I understand, too, why, why, why they're leaning so much into Podziemski. But, like, at a certain point against the top-tier teams, especially in the Western Conference, size would become an issue with that group. Next question. Weird mailbag question. Okay, Jason, you said get weird with it. Since you're also a huge Star Wars fan, if you were to form your own basketball team using only Star Wars characters, who would you be your who would be your five man lineup? So just for fun, I figured why not we just we got to find tall guys, right? So Chewie's got to be the center. He's a seven footer. Uh, I put Kylo Ren at power four because Adam Driver's big, strong dude at the four. He's tall. I put Darth Plagueis at the small forward because he's this tall, slender uh, mune. Darth Maul at the two is my athlete guard, and then Yoda at the point as my skill guard. There's a there's a fun one for you. Jason, Nuggets and Celtics, what's your take on how they stack up against each other? You know, it's funny. We haven't really talked about this one. It's a really interesting matchup because one of the specific things I've talked about with, uh, with Denver is you need a team that has – a depth of shot creation so that you can attack their entry points. One of the things that Denver does is they try to hedge and recover with Jamal Murray. They keep Michael Porter Jr. off the ball. They bring Nikola Jokic, depending on the matchup, high into his drop coverage, and they use Aaron Gordon to clean up messes on the backside. And so there's not a lot not a lot of opportunity to attack Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in space. What you need is a team that has enough offensive talent that you can just straight up attack those guys without having to get a switch. We saw this with Golden State on Christmas Day. They were just using Jonathan Kaminga and Andrew Wiggins to straight post up Jamal Murray and to generate quality shots there. Boston's an interesting team because they will have that ability. Like, chances are you're putting Contavious Cobble Pope on, you know, probably Derek White, right? You're putting him most likely on Derek White. You're probably going to put Aaron Gordon on Jason Tatum. Right, So naturally, there's a really good chance that you're going to end up with someone like a Drew Holiday or a Jalen Brown on Jamal Murray. And if that's the case, you can use those two guys to just literally bring the ball up the floor and attack Jamal and not have to worry about trying to bring him into the action. And so that, then from there, they have the ability to space uh, teams out. I also think Kristaps Porzingis could cause some problems for them. But the flip side is, on the other side of the floor... It, like we talk about the Celtics and their biggest flaw being late game decision making, you could not pick a better team at that than the Denver Nuggets. That's their superpower. 
And so like it's it's like weirdly both teams have the ability to take advantage of the other team's weakness and I think it makes it really interesting. Obviously though you guys know I'm going to take Denver if I have to pick one of the two teams, but I do think it's very close and I think those two teams are clearly the top tier contenders. Your thoughts on the state of the Star Wars cinematic universe? The sequel trilogies in my opinion were terrible, but I like what they've done with their live and animated shows since uh, besides Obi-Wan series and Boba Fett. And then also any upcoming Star Wars projects that you're excited for. So one of the things that bothers me about the Star Wars cinematic universe is their obsession with staying within this timeline. And this timeline is already completely butchered anyway. Like the first six movies were the story of Anakin Skywalker and his fall and his rise, right? As he essentially uh, defeats Palpatine at the end. And like ask, if you ask uh, George Lucas, he'll tell you it's not a Luke Skywalker story. It's an Anakin Skywalker story. That's the whole like point of this, uh, that whole six movie stretch. But because Palpatine survives and transfers his consciousness into a clone, a flawed clone on Exegol and, uh, you know, Luke literally just stops being a Jedi and all this other shit. And then you get to the end and like now Luke dies, Ben Solo dies, Han Solo dies, Leia dies. Like the, the Skywalker line is just gone. And, and so is the solo line. And now you just have Ray Palpatine as this final remaining character. It's all butchered anyway, because of how much they, they screwed up the sequel trilogy. That said, like, even within that context, they keep trying to fill gaps within that series. And one of the problems there is even with what I just described, your six episode arc is your Anakin storyline, but which turns into basically a Palpatine storyline, right? So that's your overarching story. Everything else you fit in there has to be subsidiary. And that's what's frustrating. Like the best movies out there have truly like powerful villains that are interesting and that kind of have a little bit of a good side to them, right? Like it's funny as we talked about Marvel, part of the reason Marvel's gone down the shitter in my opinion is like you had this profound storyline centering around Thanos and they just haven't been able to figure out like a real crisis that people care about in these other movies, right? And like, and, and, and it, that's kind of the issue Star Wars is having is like, even as you're going through, like as a Star Wars fan, I'm enjoying the Ahsoka series, right? Or did enjoy the Ahsoka series. And I'm really interested to see what happens with Grand Admiral Thrawn. But like, even then, like whatever they do there is trapped within like, whatever happens, here comes the first order in, in, in 15 years. And, and they're just going to undo all, because they're trapped under that umbrella. And Star Wars just has so much cool stuff outside of that umbrella between like the stuff leading into the Phantom Menace with like Darth Plagueis and Darth Bane to like 3000 years before that with like Darth Revan and, and a lot of the stuff with the old Republic to way in the future that they could do interesting things. Like if they go outside of that umbrella, then they could start to build a, a, an entirely a new and, and enticing crisis or villain that they can construct a storyline around. And so I think that's where they've, they've messed up. Um, a upcoming series that I'm ex excited for. I'm really excited for the Acolyte. Uh, those of you guys who are Star Wars nerds will know that the Sith 1000 years before the Phantom Menace went extinct, but they didn't really Darth Bane, uh, basically faked their extinction and then went into hiding and his plan was to overthrow the Republic through, uh, basically subterfuge, right? And so the Acolyte's really interesting to me because it takes place in the High Republic, which is like three to 500 years before the Phantom Menace. And all the High Republic books have been mostly bad so far because they're trying this thing with the Nile, which is like basically a band of raiders. Just imagine like the raiders that you'd run, in, run into when you'd play Fallout, right? 
uh, just just wearing weird clothes and doing drugs and stealing from people. And it's just like not as interesting as like a, a real motivated villain, right? So like some of the High Republic stuff has been shitty, but the Acolyte is allegedly supposed to center around a dark side force user. And so I think it'd be really interesting if they use the Acolyte to try to kind of build out some of the ancient Sith storyline, which I think would be really interesting. Uh, obviously, I'm really excited to see what happens with Grand Admiral Thrawn as well. And just in general, I'm hoping that they get outside of that umbrella eventually. All right, two more questions. Patrick Bet David posted the Christmas Day ratings for both the NFL and the NBA on Twitter, and the NFL has had five five X what the NBA has. He's a huge fan, has interviewed people like Kobe Shaq and Stephen A, but said he doesn't watch regular season anymore because it sucks. What do you think the NBA could do to compete, even though the event uh, the NBA is is worldwide and the NFL is just US based? And I understand that. So here's the thing. I, I think the problem with this discussion is the NBA and the NFL are two fundamentally different sports. And what I mean by that is like, the I've actually seen this phrase thrown around online lately, but they refer to the NBA as an inventory sport and the NFL as an event sport. Meaning like, because there are 82 regular season games, an in-season tournament, a play-in tournament, four uh, seven-game series playoff rounds, like two months of playoff basketball, there's just so much of it that you're never going to get any singular game, even a playoff game necessarily, to be viewed as a, a like an event, right? Which an event is what you get from NFL from the standpoint of like every game carries huge stakes. Every playoff game is like appointment television because it's single elimination. It's, it's just fundamentally different. And so you're going to get higher viewership from there. It's important to understand though, from a revenue standpoint, like even though the NBA or the NFL crushes the NBA in revenue by 5X or whatever, the gap in term, uh, in ratings, I should say, the gap in revenue is closer by proportion. And part of the reason for that is because the NBA has so much inventory, which is why they will never shorten the season, even though I want them to. And a big part of it is they can continue to drive revenue through things like overseas, uh, uh, bringing the game more and more overseas, which I think will be the case. I would imagine that if we go skip to the distant future, the NBA will probably have franchises overseas. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a thing. And so in general, like the way I look at it, like, yeah, if you want to compare the NBA purely based on television ratings to the NFL, they're going to get their ass kicked constantly. But the NBA is very much a healthy sport. It has some flaws. I've talked about officiating. I think player movement, as much as it is the fair thing to do, it's also not necessarily the best thing for cultivating really committed local fan bases. And I think it can for, uh, form a little bit of a detached feeling from fans as a result. But at the end of the day, that is the morally correct way to approach it from the standpoint of free agency, right? So like, it, it's complicated but I do think the NBA is in a healthy place and is going to be healthy for a very long time. I just I think it's stupid to compare the two from a rating standpoint when they're so fundamentally different. Last question. As a bald man, I'm always living vicariously through others. So with that said, what's the goal for your hair? We going Pat Riley, maybe even a mullet. So uh, I uh, this is the my I've got some hat head right now, but. I've never grown out my hair before. So the truth of the matter is, is I don't know what we're going to do because I don't even know what it's going to look like. I did want to try it. It was something my wife and I talked about for a while. I've been doing the short hair thing forever. Uh, those of you guys who've been following the show for a while know it. I'll probably grow it out for another year or two and just get crazy and then never do it again. So that, that's kind of the plan. But honestly, it's been a pain in the ass. Like I like it just ha like having a little bit of longer hair is just pain because like it's just it con my my hair's super curly and frizzy. So it just constant. I like have crazy bedhead like eighty percent of the time that I'm walking around my house. But like 
It, uh, for whatever it's worth, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. We'll see. Uh, I'm kind of leaning on uh, what, whatever my wife wants me to do just for some fun. Uh, but I will be keeping the long hair for at least another year or so. Um, I really appreciate you guys. 2023 has been a really, really great year for this show. Uh, it was the year I extended with the volume. We've hit crazy numbers. Uh, once again, last month, over a million views were uh, comfortably averaging over a million views a month for the for the the year. It just has been, uh, to put it simply, um, it's been one of the great joys of my life to get to build this with you guys. And I sincerely appreciate you rocking with me and supporting me. And and uh, I I like. I feel so fortunate, not just to be covering the NBA because of how healthy the league is and where it's going, but I also feel very fortunate to work for the volume. I jumped on with this company uh, at an earlier phase and between you know, uh, adding uh, Richard Sherman, between adding Daniel Cormier, between adding uh, Darius Slay, between adding uh, Shannon Sharp, between adding... Chad Cinco between adding, like, I think uh, I, sh- I should be careful because I, d- I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm pretty sure Shannon Sharp is getting ready to launch a new NBA show with a big name, so I won't reveal it for that sake. But, like, like literally now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm so lucky to be in this spot because the volume has turned into this, like, significant sports media company, and the company trusts me to be their primary NBA day-to-day coverage. I just feel, I just feel super blessed. And quite frankly... I wouldn't be able to to be in this position if you guys didn't support the show, just to put it simply. And like I talked about earlier when we were talking podcasts, I, uh, I, I, I'm a big believer in being authentic and just leaning into exactly the way you want to do things and then letting the chips fall where they may. And you guys have embraced that uh, from me, and, I, and I, I just am so thankful. And I hope you guys realize that. I don't take it for granted ever. Uh, I, I'm so thankful to see the, the mailbag uh, uh, questions come in every single day. We don't talk about them much on the show, but uh, almost every episode, a few of you guys write extremely kind words about what the show means to you guys. And I read every single one of them and, and, and I really sincerely appreciate them. I just hope you guys understand how much I appreciate you guys. Happy new year. 2024 is going to be awesome. I'm excited to see who wins the championship this season. Hopefully my Lakers can get it together and make a run. We'll see what happens. I will see you guys on Tuesday for some power rankings and some game breakdowns. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the natural hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. 
Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash H-O-O-P-S. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 